When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wild, Precious Life is brought to you by the American Book Center, booksellers with a personal touch. This family-owned bookstore, opened in 1972, has been quirky, friendly, and knowledgeable from the start. And just counting our present staff, we represent more than 700 years of combined bookselling experience. Our Amsterdam location is often listed as one of the 10 most beautiful bookshops in the world. And our stores are highly rated for assortment and personal service. Drop by to touch and smell the books or shop online at abc.nl. And Wild Precious Life is proud to support the International Writers Collective Creative Writing School. The collective offers fiction and poetry workshops online and in the Netherlands and a vibrant international community to support you in your writing goals. Many students view their program as a cheaper and more flexible alternative to an MFA. Learn more and find a class at internationalwriterscollective.com. Happy New Year! I always think of January as a time for resolve. After all, the month is named for Janus, the Roman god of both endings and beginnings. So it makes sense that this is a time for goals and the turning over of new leaves. If you're someone formulating a plan for the new year, I salute you. I also have a word of the year that I'm chewing on and letting guide some of my dreams and schemes. But what I'm also working on is nothing. I don't mean that I'm not working on anything. I mean I'm working on nothing. Pauses, breaks... Moments of recharging, gathering for more laughter and leisure instead of work, and savoring those moments. It may seem funny to begin a new year when everyone is making resolutions and goals to engage in a conversation about doing nothing. But as we learn from our guests today, there's a real benefit to our health and wellness when we unplug a little more, when we put down the phone, shut the computer, turn off the TV and turn on our breathing, our daydreams, and ease. So make all the goals you want this January. Look forward, look back, but also listen today and see whether you can make just a little more room for your version of nothingness that we all need so much. My guest, Olga Mecking, is a writer, journalist, and occasional translator. Originally from Poland, she now lives with her German husband and three multilingual children in the Netherlands. She's written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, the Guardian, and the BBC, among others. The U.S. edition of her book, Nixon, Embracing the Dutch Art of Doing Nothing, has been translated into 15 languages around the world. 
When not writing or thinking about writing, Olga can be found reading books, drinking tea, and doing nothing. Olga Becking, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Hello, thank you so much for having me. You came to my attention because you're the author of the popular book Nixon, which for my American listeners is not Nixon, the 37th president of the United States, but Nixon, N-I-K-S-E-N, which you define as the Dutch art of doing nothing. So I've been practicing my Nixoning all week in anticipation of our conversation. I have some epic failures and a few moments of magic and bliss. But first, I'd love for our listeners to learn a little more about you. So Olga Mecking, will you tell us some of your story? Of course. So um, I am originally from Warsaw, Poland, and I lived in Germany as a kid. Uh, so for two years, my parents and I lived in Cologne in Germany, uh, and I went to a German kindergarten, so I speak Polish. So I was raised bilingually with Polish and German. And then my parents were also lived abroad, my, uh, raised up, so they also lived abroad. My father grew up in France. My mom grew up in the Netherlands, attending the American School of The Hague, where I just happen to live right now, which is really cool. Um, yeah, so I grew up in this very multilingual, multicultural family. And now I live with my German husband in the Netherlands because before I moved to the Netherlands, I lived in Germany for a few years as well. Oh, my goodness. So you've had a lot of homes. Yeah. <laughs> but you call the Netherlands home now. One of them. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's it's a bit tricky topic for, for those, you know, of us lived, uh, raised in different cultures. But yeah, one of them. Gotcha. Well, then how did you first get interested in, how did you first become interested in Nixon, this art of doing nothing? Yeah, so I am a writer and I'm always on the lookout for stories. So I read a lot of Dutch newspapers. I kind of look around and see what's happening around me. A magazine, a Dutch language wellness magazine, and it had an article called Nixon is the New Mindfulness. And I just loved everything about it, starting from the fact that I am a linguist also because I studied languages, actually German, but yeah, it's it's part of linguistic, right? So, so I'm a linguist. I love that the Dutch language had one word for a concept that in English would take you three words, four words, you know, to do nothing, three words, not to do anything, four words, lots of words. <laughs> so, and the Dutch, the Dutch just had uh, one word for it. And you know how in English you can turn everything into a verb? Like we now have adulting and parenting, and even I've even read humaning, like being a human is humaning. Um, mm -hmm. So you turn everything, you can verb everything. And Dutch is even more like that. So they wouldn't say, I, pay, I paid with my debit card, because they use debit cards more than credit cards. So I, you, you, they wouldn't say, I paid with my debit card. They, they would say, I pinned, because to use a pin to pay with debit card, by debit card, so they say I pinned from the you know pin, or I they say I tennis, I football today, I soccer today, I volleyball today, 
<laughs> so lots of stuff like that. Um, I just love that about the like, Dutch language. It was so economical and so, you know, convenient. Uh, another thing I was I, I noticed was that, you know, this is we, before the pandemic, because the pandemic sort of changed everything. But this was before the pandemic. And I noticed suddenly everyone was writing about having, being burnout and be, being overworked and having depression. And, you know, at the time where we just didn't know what burnout was <laughs> but before the pandemic. Um, and everyone was burned out and, and suddenly people people started writing books and articles about the benefits of laziness and the benefits of boredom and how great it is to procrastinate. So it was a total kind of rethinking of, of terms that were previously considered negative. And then I also thought, oh, you know, Nixon doing nothing. I pitched an article to a few magazines. One of them was the New York Times. I don't know, was it the topic? Was it, you know, being at the right place at the right time? Whatever, it went viral. And that's how, how the book happened. That's, 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 that article just got me the, the attention of a publisher in the Netherlands. And that's how the book happened. Yeah, I read that article. It was a 2019, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. 2019, yeah. <laughs> well, before I read your article and then before I read your book, I... I thought it was pretty good at doing nothing. I watch Netflix at night and I scroll on my phone all the time and I read before bed. But you are pretty quick to point out that those things are not, in fact, the same as doing nothing. But why not? Well, it feels like nothing. Why isn't scrolling on my phone doing Nixon? Yeah, so... Um... I was just trying to define what doing nothing was. Like, you know, if you write about a, a topic or about a new trend or whatever, you have to define what it is and what it isn't. And so I asked, I, I talked to a few people, I asked a few experts and came up with this definition, or I didn't come up with that, my experts did. They, they came up with this definition that had like two parts, that doing nothing was literally doing nothing. Um, so just not scrolling Facebook and not um, not watching Netflix um, and the other. So that was one thing because on one hand we say this is nothing when it's not like we're doing something. Um, and on the other hand, I think we're a bit a little bit ashamed of ourselves when we do watch on TV on Netflix or a series on Netflix because we think we're supposed to be working or we're supposed to be productive. Um, so I tried to kind of say, okay, why not own it? If you watch a series on Netflix, own it. You say, I'm watching a series on Netflix, say it. I'm scrolling Facebook, say it. I'm tweeting, say it, right? Own it. Um, these are, you know, those things are seen as waste of time, but I, I watch lots of series on Netflix. I love it. I scroll Facebook I uh, a lot also. I love it too. I just tried to kind of, um, try to, uh, to kind of, get the feeling of what was doing nothing and what was not doing nothing. The other part of the definition was that it was, it's just because we do so many things that we think we no longer go for walks because it's nice. We go for walks because we want to get in our 10,000 steps for our health, you know, health. <laughs> so everything has to have some sort of goal. We're doing everything with some sort of goal in mind, or it has to be productive. It has to have some sort of output like if you put time into this going on a walk thing then we do expect 
to do our job, like to do those 10,000 steps and have the feeling, okay, I accomplished something today. And that's, um, and I think with, with Nixon, the idea was to say, oh, just do nothing because it feels good. It can feel good. Or, you know, just go for a walk because it feels good or for the hell of it or because you feel like it. Because so often those things are not very clearly defined in a way that, for example, we can start watching a series on Netflix, but then we space out. So we go from watching a series on Netflix to actually Nixon. <laughs> because we're no longer actively watching the series, right? So we're now doing nothing. <laughs> so it, it can be all sorts of things. Well, I think for a lot of us, especially parents, we can convince ourselves that we are doing nothing when we're really doing lots of things. Like when I'm sitting in my kitchen with a cup of lukewarm tea and I'm going over the schedule for the day and which kid has which activity in which place, that I might have described that as I was doing nothing, but that wasn't nothing. That's emotional labor. As you point out in your book, it's it's work. Taking care of children is work. And we are entitled to breaks. We need these breaks. I think we often forget that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is the thing that a lot of the work that we do looks like doing nothing but isn't. So, for example, you know, the emotional labor or the, the, the invisible labor that you just mentioned of planning and figuring out who does what, when, where. But even creative work, there's this lot of, you know, this idea is that creative work is the actual painting or dancing or composing or writing, drawing or whatever, sculpting, where this is just like the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of, of work happening under the surface that's not visible because it's all in our heads. It's, you know, the ideas bumping into each other and creating new ideas. It's the... It's, you know, reading something in a book or seeing a painting or seeing a photograph and kind of thinking, hmm, maybe I could do something similar. So it, it all takes time and it and it's just not no one notices it because it happens inside of our heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. When when I think about well, you and I are talking right now, it's the lead up to the holidays, right? Uh, Parents are making lists. They're checking them twice. Folks are folks are running errands. They're buying 72% dark chocolate and coconut for baking. They're working overtime to pay for all these holiday purchases. Someone is right now driving a child to a cello concert. I think there might be people listening who would say to us, I'm just too busy to take these breaks. I'm just too busy. Is there anything you can say to convince people of the health and wellness benefits of nixing around? Okay, doing nothing is just one of the things you can do for your mental health. Going for walks, going for a bicycle ride, drawing, coloring, all those kind. Of, you know, people crochet, people do needlework, all sorts of things that have the same kind of benefits, right? So one of those things is, for example, one of those benefits is it makes us more creative because creative work does require some time to like for ideas to percolate and create new ideas. And there's been one of my experts told me that she actually did, did a study. It wasn't about doing nothing, it was about lazy, it was about boredom. She was writing about the benefits of boredom and she put people in a sensory deprivation, like it's, wasn't exactly a sensory deprivation 
that kind of place, but it was a room with just a chair and 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 uh, table and nothing else. And so those people had nothing, you know, nothing to occupy their their hands or their minds. And yeah, after that, they would she would give people creativity tests, and those people who did nothing um, did better on those tests compared to people who were giving a task or who, you know, occupied some, themselves in some other way. So the creativity part is one thing. Um, the other part is I talked also to lots of productivity experts who told me that we kind of, in we kind of, when it comes to our bodies, right, we know that at some points we'll have to stop and take a break and maybe eat something and drink some water. And, and we, we kind of think, yeah, of course, our bodies get tired. We feel when we're tired. But, you know, our brains are part of our bodies. They get tired too. When I kind of keep writing and writing, and at some point I realize I'm writing nonsense. Like nothing I type makes sense. And that's why, that's, that's where I know, okay, no, no. Time to stop and do something else. And it's a bit of a paradox, but taking breaks, more breaks during the day will make you more productive as opposed to working longer stretches of time. So that's two. Already we have the creativity benefit, we have the productivity benefit. And the third one was something that I was surprised by. It had to do with decision making, especially when it came to decisions that were complex and didn't just, this is better than that, but decisions like finding an apartment. This one has a better location, but that wasn't cheaper. And this one is bigger. And that, that was has like better light, for example, right? So four very different vari variables that make could make decision making more difficult. But in the end, people who just forgot about those decisions and took a break and did something entirely different, didn't think about those things. It, it was a study that performed by, by a Dutch uh, sociologist. People who took a break and did something entirely different were happier with their decisions than people who were told to do, you know, to kind of write down pros and cons of each decision. So we have, we already have creativity, productivity, decision-making, there's some proof that it can also improve our mental health. I didn't focus so much on that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Taking breaks, you know, going for a walk is, is good for our mental health also. Something I, I thought was really interesting in your book is you describe a study where a researcher looked at brain activity, right? We would expect that when we're doing something, our brain is working, right? That when I'm thinking and mulling something over and when I'm working that you look at an MRI and, and the brain is lit up. But I didn't expect that when we're at rest, when we're quote unquote doing nothing, our brain pathways actually light up in really different ways. It, that, that, that all of this cataloging and measuring and mapping and relating that when we are at rest, our brains are actually doing a different kind of work and thinking themselves, which I, I didn't know. I thought that was fascinating. So even that person who's not thinking about their apartment and which one they're going to get, maybe the brain was working on that for them while they were supposedly not thinking of it. So if these breaks are good for us, right, if they are potentially good for our mental health and our decision making and our, our stress levels and our productivity, and if so many of us 
are really stressed and well overwhelmed and tired, why is it so hard for us to do nothing? Oh yeah, that's a great question. I just want to say about that study. I talked to the to the guy who actually discovered the, what you're talking about. It's called the default mod word network. It was pretty amazing, and it's really our brains are doing a very different kind of activity. Like it's a very different kind of activity when we do nothing versus when we focus on a task. Um, and of course, our brains being economic, they kind of send all the energy to the place it's needed. So if we focus on a mathematical problem, it's going to send energy, you know, the, the, the energy, nutrition, whatever, to the places responsible for calculation, for example, stuff like that. When we do nothing, I think it's more of a kind of general whole brain kind of activity. And it's it's probably, probably really, exp to me, it really probably really explains why we have the best ideas, not when we like, I need to solve this. I need to solve this. I really need to solve this. It's usually when, you know, the shower or the, the bathtub are really such cliche uh, kind of moments to have, uh, you know, <laughs> a eureka moment, but it's it's actually true. Like it does happen that way. It doesn't happen like solve this problem. No, solve this problem. It's, it's oh yeah. Oh, we wake up. It's. We, we go to bed with, you know, something on our minds, a question, a problem, and we wake up with a solution. So ask your questions why it's difficult, thousand reasons, million reasons, one of them being technology, of course, everything is easily available. Technology is essentially was supposed to help us save time, but it's become so in, immersive and so, in, you know, interactive that we're spending more time on on facebook on twitter uh, sorry it's called x now but whatever what used to be twitter <laughs> um it just takes up more of our time and it's 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 of course um built that way like it's created that way it's it's supposed to take our time so that's very tricky not to do that second i think our society really values or at least western societies really value work um, or, or productivity and, and giving us some sort of output, like showing something for the work that you did. It's also culturally acceptable. So managers are gonna kind of punish people for not working enough, or are they gonna give people raises for, for working more? There's this kind of culture of, I've been reading article about hustle culture, how we everything we do is supposed to be, you know, we, we're always supposed to be doing more. We always are supposed to improve ourselves. We're always supposed to be better at everything. And it's not just work, it's actually everything. It's we're supposed to be super employees. We're supposed to be perfect parents. We're supposed to be great spouses. We're supposed to have a clean house. Somehow, all of that, <laughs> we're supposed to essentially have a PhD in nutrition sciences because, you know, we, we're supposed to know what all those labels mean and what to eat and what not to eat. Um, I don't know. Being a modern human is very, very exhausting, so, yeah. I think. <laughs> um, and because also we have so much more knowledge at our hands, it's sort of expected that we know more and we spend more time on, on learning all those things. And because of this productivity culture and in, you know, work environments, but also in our personal lives, we're kind of expected to be productive everywhere. And because of that, we feel very guilty when we, when we do things that we don't consider productive, including doing nothing, including resting, 
including things that we another thing um also even if we have hobbies like i take i like taking pictures or i like baking and 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 there's this kind of little voice at the back of my head that says hmm, maybe you should monetize that <laughs> and you know everyone has ever picked up knitting needles or 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 bought a sack of flour or, or um, did a drawing. <laughs> they have this, they have, you need to monetize that. You need to have like a side hustle. You need to do more on top of, you know, your general, your, your day job or, and being a parent and being a spouse and, you know, keeping house and stuff like that. So there's always this kind of feeling you need to be doing more. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. You wrote something in your book about the myths and assumptions we have about productivity that I didn't even realize I was carrying around. There's this line... You're still a valuable human being even when you're doing nothing. You're still a valuable human being even when you're doing nothing. And I would believe that about other people, but then I have a hard time believing it about myself. I've been trained, just like you described, my entire life to believe in, like, output and, like you said, hustling. Um, but you gave examples about how the best way, sometimes the best way to work on a difficult problem is to step away from it, that in fact, working on it less could help me work more efficiently. I can either grind away on this problem for 12 hours, or I could work on it for an hour and step away and then maybe work on it for another hour. That, that, that I actually, in working less, I could be more efficient. I, in being bored, I could be more creative. That, um, that was kind of mind-blowing for me. I wondered, have you changed any of your own work style since you discovered Nixon? Are you still prone to, I'm going to work on this article until it's done? Or are you better at stepping away? That depends. Well, because sometimes that's not possible. Like you have a deadline. If you're, if you're, you know, a surgeon in the middle of an operation, you're not going to, no, I'm going <laughs> to step away for a while. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I think, um, and also kind of, <laughs> tend to do work at the last moment, like many creative people do. So I wake up to the last possible moment because I don't, okay, now I have to do this. Well, you start with your Nixoning. You Nixon yeah. first. Yeah. <laughs> also, I recently wrote an essay, very long one, and I did it paragraph by paragraph. So every day I sat down, I wrote a paragraph, and then boom, done. And it was so nice because I didn't have a deadline for that. It was just something I wanted to write about. Uh, some experience I had um, a while ago 
and it was so nice not to have this pressure to kind of get it done a certain way, not to have to think about, okay, what's the voice of this publication, what's kind of... I was just thinking, okay, what's the best way to write this essay? And it was really nice to do it this way, to kind of sit down, write a paragraph, and then I may, may have focused on other things for the rest of the day, but that essay, one paragraph a day. That's fascinating. That's reminding me, I went to graduate school when I had a baby. And so when we would get assignments that were eight-page papers, I knew that I was only going to be able to work on that while my daughter napped. So I was only going to be able to write the equivalent of what I could do during that hour or so that she was asleep. And so I, I had to write my papers like that, stopping and starting and stopping and starting. And at the time, I remember being frustrated by um, the interruptions, you know, and you're, when you have a new baby, you're tired. But I also remember thinking about the relative effortlessness of the ideas. I never struggled for an idea I could, I could come to it, work on it, and then the next day I would come back to it and work on it. And, and my, my brain was working on that even then when I didn't realize it. So I thought I would try some Nixoning this week to just be able to talk about examples of how I did. So I thought I would be a couch Nixoner. But as soon as I sat on my couch, when my children were home, it was like there was a button attached to me. So I sat down and they popped up and they needed snacks. Or I sat down and they came in because algebra was happening and they didn't know. So it turns out my couch is attached to my children. Um, so then I tried it one day when I came home from work and I had the couch and the house to myself. And then I promptly fell asleep. So it seemed like there was like a sleeping potion on the couch. So my best my best nixing was actually in my car, not while driving, but like, you know, like like many parents, I am spending an astronomical amount of time carting my children around. And I was maybe two minutes early or maybe my daughter was two minutes late getting out of practice. So I closed my eyes and I followed the light and dark shapes that, you know, when you close them, you can sometimes see, like right now I see some lines and there's like sort of a red splotch over there. I would just, I spent two minutes and just like watched my eyelids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then another day I was early to meet my sister and I watched the leaves dropping to the ground, kind of at the edge of a forest. And at first my, I had to quantify it. You know, at first my like productivity meter or my efficiency person was like, I will count the leaves that are falling. And then I and then I found I couldn't keep up. There were too many of them falling too quickly. And so then I just sort of watched them drop like red and orange snowflakes. It was magical. So I mean, what are some of your ways your favorite ways to do nothing? Yes, yeah, so so I would definitely say, you know, kind of following something with your eyes. It could be clouds, it could be raindrops on the window, it fish if you have an aquarium with fish, oh my god, I could spend hours watching fish. <laughs> Fire, <laughs> fireplaces, amazing. Um, and also what you mentioned, and I think I say that in the book, how for some people the home is a place where they work. For me, home is a place where I do work, you know, professionally, but it's also, and, and it's also the place, you know, where I work being a parent, being a, being a wife, you know, keeping house, stuff like that. So it's kind of work in double sense of the word. And for some people, it does, I, I do quite well doing nothing at home, but for some people it, it pays to, you know, 
sit in a car or go to a cafe and watch people go by. Like follow something with your eyes. That's a really fascinating thing to do. And, and you kind of forget the world around you and just, oh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really great. Um, and also what you mentioned, um, sitting in your car waiting, you were waiting for, for your kids to, to finish practice, right? Um, I find that some of the best Nixoning opportunities are like that. You're waiting for you're waiting for your doctor at the, you know you're at your doctor's practice, but the doctor's is not ready to see you yet. So you're in this waiting room, and maybe there are magazines, but you just sit there. So I mean, uh, that's what I do sometimes. Um, just just sitting there and waiting for someone or something. Those are really great Nixoning moments. You mentioned the car. I find I, I don't drive, so but I do use public transport a lot. But those are some really great Nixoning moments simply because, okay, you're in this tram or on the bus. You really can't work on the bus. I mean, I, I couldn't. And, and so maybe you have a book with you or you scroll your phone, but you can actually pull that away and look out of the window and see, you know, look at people, look at the clouds, look at the raindrops um, and do nothing. So that's, that's one, you know, find those Nixon moments where they happen if they kind of arise spontaneously in the queue at the supermarket. Also another great place and moment to, to do nothing. Um, so there, there are millions of situations like that. So I'm sure if, you know, if you look around, you'll find some more. And another great um, advice I got from, from another productivity expert, you know, she, I think she's really right there. If you're a person who really, really likes scheduling stuff, like, you know, writing stuff down your agenda and, you know, seeing the, your day kind of be filled out with all kind of activities or tasks or, or, or events or whatever. Um, and she said, no, 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 actually remember either schedule breaks, like literally that write, write down, you know, 12 o'clock lunch break or three, you know, whatever time it is, um, schedule the break, write it down in your agenda, because if you're that kind of person, um, whatever it is in your agenda is gonna be done. So if you write down Nixon time, you're gonna do it. <laughs> you know, we write down important stuff in our agendas, doctor's visits or conferences or meetings, uh, but we forget that uh, breaks and lunch breaks and just breaks for resting are equally important. So we should write them down. Or the other thing she suggested was to fill in your agenda like you usually do, but leave blank spaces between events. Like don't schedule back-to-back -back meetings, leave some breaks in between when you still to do nothing. So you, yeah, whatever your, your kind of character is or your personality, maybe you're, you're really good at planning or maybe you're more of a spontaneous person. Um, I think both 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 types could find way to, ways to do nothing, and it could be situational. Like you were sitting in the car, you were doing nothing, and it worked right for you, right? So that's what that's what this is about. Hey, I know that in addition to being a nothing enthusiast, that you're also an incredibly prolific writer. When I was looking up some of your writing online to remind myself uh, what you'd written before, uh, in addition to pieces of your own 
Uh, you once translated a book for your father? I know that's not the topic that we're talking about, but um, I don't know. Would you mind telling us about that project? Oh, that that's great. Thank you for asking. It's actually my grandfather's Holocaust memoir because he was he was born in, in Lviv. Yeah, but he kind of fled to Warsaw from uh, World War II, like during World War II. And he had this thing, he, he written, he wrote a memoir about his time in, in the Holocaust and being Jewish um, in the time of World War II. You know, my husband is a very interested in history, B, a very, very difficult person to get gifts for. <laughs> because either oh no I don't I don't want anything or he's gonna go and buy it buy it himself or order it on Amazon. Yep, that sounds like my husband too. <laughs> Did you say he's German? My my husband is also of German <laughs> descent. So this I wonder. <laughs> it could be either a German thing or a husband thing. I'm not mm-hmm. sure yet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I sit down and it's I just got like my mom brought the brought me the book. Uh, one one time she was visiting from Poland and I saw, oh, okay, you know, I have this amount of time till his next birthday. And the book is really like, it's it's not very thin, thick. It's, it's maybe 40,000 words. So it's not a very big book and it's not very complicated. So I, I told myself I'm going to translate it for my husband. And then the question was into which language? Because he's German, right? Yes. And I, I'm I'm a translator, so I used to work as a translator. So it was the question, which language? And and I thought, hmm, maybe if I wanted to publish it one day, then maybe English would be better. And so I sat down, translated it into English and printed it out for my husband and he said, Oh no, you, you have to, you know, you have to publish this. So that's what I did. My my grandfather was, oh, that's not the only book he wrote. He was a diplomat, but he also wrote several books about his time as diplomat, um, living in the Netherlands and other countries. He wrote a history book about the, like the history of the Netherlands. He wrote several books, including this one, but I thought this one was particularly interesting for my husband, simply because he likes history. And also because I'm Eastern European, right? And he said, we we didn't know anything about that, what was happening, no, even after World War II, we didn't know what was happening behind the Red Curtain. So kind of my, my stories, while I'm telling him, like what my parents were, went through, for example, he's like, oh, that's happening. He had no idea that was happening. Yeah. Well, I think that's wonderful that you had this story that was sort of alive in your family that you could bring to a broader audience. I'll make sure to link to that so folks can check it out. Um, oh, I could see, I could talk, I could go down the rabbit hole of translating. I'm fascinated by by the way different languages even have come to English. I think it was Barbara Kingsolver in a talk. Uh, she discussed the way that even in just in English only, we have, we have uh, freedom and we also have liberty. We have these two words at our disposal, and and you, of course, have many languages. So, depending on what language you're thinking in, you're going to have a different word come to you, and it's the meaning's not exactly the same. I mean, I know the words are synonyms, but but freedom and liberty, those are different. I I would be fascinated by that. 
Yeah, I was actually thinking about I sometimes I, I do this like I, I I kind of share on Facebook. I call it the, my how my languages work. Poli like for example Polish edition and I write things. I wanted to to write something like Polish Polish would have a special word for the 24 hour day. So you have night and you have day and you have this other word. We call it doba. So you know because a day is 12 hours, a night is 12 hours and a doba is 24 hours, right? Once I wrote how Polish doesn't have a word for toes, we call it feet fingers. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> In English, when we when we see someone with particularly long toes, we call them tingers. Toe <laughs> like fingers. Toe fingers, yeah. So I used to tease my sister about her tingers. Or how Polish doesn't, doesn't like we we never say good morning in Polish like it doesn't exist. We start with good day. So did you say morning does not exist in? No, what? morning does exist, but the <laughs> the expression good morning doesn't like we don't say that. We say good day, good evening, good night. Good day. <laughs> I love it. Oh, okay. Well, see, I could talk words and language all day, but I have to do a wrap up. So we just, we actually end, we end with some like playful this or that questions. So it's sort of like what we've been doing, but these just first ones are multiple choice and you pick one. Okay. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. Dogs or cats? So yeah, I have neither, but because my brother has cats, um, I'm going to say cats. Nice. Mountains or beach? Tricky because, but I think I'm gonna say mountains because I already got the beach. <laughs> like we live at the sea. The Hague has eleven kilometers of be of sea of beaches, so that's. I did not know that. Is the best time for me to visit you in the summer then, or is it better for me to visit you later in the fall? Mm, depending <laughs> on what you want. Right now it's really rainy, but no. yeah. Um, for like swimming and bathing, stuff like that. Summer is really great. Nice. Um, okay, intuition or logic? Can I say both? <laughs> I wondered what you would say about that. I see you using both in in your books and your writing, that's for sure. Okay, you share a lot of slang words for doing nothing in different cultures and letting your mind wander. So when you are Nixoning, are you more likely to think of it as, quote, letting your pig dog out or cucumbering around? I think right now I think of it as Nixoning. <laughs> like yeah. my brother was talking, oh, I was, you know, doing this or that. I was like, no, you were Nixoning. That's what you were doing. <laughs> um, I love that expression though, like pickling or cucumbering around. I think that's really funny. So in, in Poland, let's say like to lie, lying down with your belly up. <laughs> nice. If I was offering you breakfast, would you prefer that I offer you, um, I always think of it as a stroop waffle, but I think I'm saying that wrong, that or toast with chocolate sprinkles? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite um, breakfast in the Netherlands? Um, I think I'm going to say the scrambled eggs my daughter make, my eldest daughter makes. She really makes really excellent uh, scrambled eggs. My daughter watched a video of scrambled eggs, they're slow, much slow. You know, I always make them very quickly, but she has a very particular way of making them slow and fluffy. They're very good, but they take forever. <laughs> <laughs> Are you an early bird or a night owl? 
also neither. I'm actually the kind that goes to bed early and gets up late. Ooh. Like if given the chance, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a much nicer way to say I need a lot of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay, this is a fill in the blank. The first question is about your job. So if you weren't working as a writer and translator and you had a little magic, what would you do instead? I don't know. Um, growing up, I wanted to be an ice cream vendor because ice cream makes people happy. I wanted to be a ballerina and I wanted to be something with books and or something with culture. I really have no idea. Maybe I would probably just do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What do you love about where you live? The, the nearness of the sea, which is nice. The dunes are amazing here. Amazing. You could walk there forever. They're beautiful in every season. Um, winter, spring, autumn, every, every you know, summer. They're beautiful everything, every, every time. I like that I can cycle easily. I think I I bought my bike maybe three years ago. And I in, the, in those three years, I've cycled more than in my entire life before that. It's um it's not just easy to cycle, it's actually socially accepted, so I end up doing lots of cycling. You know, because the country is so small that we can like drive for an hour to a different place every time for years and never go to the same place twice because everything is just so close by. So there are some amazing places you can go just, you know, one hour drive from our place. Museums, amusement parks, uh everything. Beautiful cities. Yeah, in your book, you definitely make it sound like a wonderful place to raise children. It can be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, do you have a favorite book or a favorite movie? <laughs> I do struggle a bit with the favorite kind of questions. I don't have a favorite book. I think I do have a favorite genre, and I think that's fantasy. I love fantasy and science fiction. Funnily enough, I do have a favorite movie, and for some reason that's Flashdance. I don't know why. I just love this movie very much. <laughs> I know I know there is so many different, better movies, but somehow this one caught my attention. For I don't know why. I just like it. I have not seen that movie in years, but I might need to watch it right today. I love that. There's a great song from that movie. Um, there, there are several great songs from that movie. Um, <laughs> But I also want to say Yellow Submarine because that kind of taught me about Beatles music and the Beatles, like their music, their songs inspired me to learn English because I wanted to understand what they were singing about. That's amazing. The Beatles inspired you to learn English. Do you remember a song of theirs that you liked a lot that you wanted to understand? Yeah, I think it just started with this kind of the movie and the song, you know, Yellow Submarine, because I watched it when I was maybe seven or eight. I just liked the music so much for some reason. And then my father said, oh, you know, you're going to be so disappointed when you will learn what they sing about. But no, the lyrics aren't always very simple. Like some songs are super complicated and complex and amazing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So my dad, um, my dad has since passed away, but his favorite song to whistle was Yellow Submarine. So I could always hear my dad if he was home because he would be whistling. I can't even whistle, but like, we all live in a yellow submarine. So it would just be down the hall or around the corner every time I hear that song or think of it. I think of my dad. Okay, last two. What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Um, pistachio. All right. And last one. If we were to take a picture of you really happy and doing something you love, what would we see? Sleeping. <laughs> Me too. 
I love sleep. So Olga Mecking, thank you for stopping by today. In your viral New York Times article, you advise us to reframe our ideas about laziness and waste and take more moments in our days to gaze out the window, to daydream and let our minds wander. When I did that this week, it was like pressing the reset button on myself. I didn't even know I had a reset button that wasn't like triggered by coffee or tea. I felt my blood pressure climbing down. So thank you for teaching all of us about nothing. (laughs) Thank you for having me. This is amazing. It was amazing. Thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, folks, our guest today has been Olga Mecking, the author of Nixon Embracing the Dutch Art of Doing Nothing. You can find it at your local library or an indie store near you. To everyone listening, we're wishing you love and light wherever the day takes you. Be good to yourself, be good to one another, and we'll see you again soon on this wild and precious journey. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya and audio engineer Ian Douglas. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.